Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we will study God's Word. Things change by the Word of God. I'm so excited about that. I'm going to be sharing a little bit of story today. I'm going to share a little bit about my story, and I'm going to share a little bit about what it means to share our story. What does it mean individually for you as a follower of Christ to tell people about what has happened to you as a result of following Jesus? I want to start with this question. Do you remember where you were when? Sometimes there's these significant moments in our lives that we witness, whether it's in the news or whether it's uh, a big event, and we remember right where we were. Some of you guys, if you're around my age or older, you might remember the Loma Prieta earthquake. Most of you, I think, could tell me where you were during that earthquake. Am I right? Maybe some of you who are an older generation, maybe my parents' generation or older, might say they knew right where they were when they heard the news that Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, would no longer be president. I tried to filter that one a little bit. Sometimes, maybe we have these experiences where we were at the best concert of our lives. We remember who we saw, where we were. I remember in college, I used to go to these alternative Christian bands. They were kind of wild. I was still wearing my Doc Martens back then. I was the lightest guy amongst my friends, and so oftentimes if you see those concerts where everything's packed and there's some guy and he's like floating on the top of everybody, that was me. (laughs) So I remember the first first time I remember when I actually, uh, my friend showed me how to stage dive, like how to leap off of the stage into the crowd and be caught. That's that's an important piece, how to be caught. But a lot of us, we can remember these parts of our timeline, and we can remember even, too, these significant points in our lives. And I think even as we encounter Jesus at some point in our lives, for many of you, many of you are seeking, and maybe you haven't had that encounter yet. But for a lot of us, timeline-wise, it's somewhere along the timeline. If we were imagining this front of the stage as being a timeline, I hear stories from other people. I remember sharing this idea with my team about sharing our stories. And Sharon Seberger said, you know, I was six years old when I knew that Jesus was real and I wanted to follow him. And so very early in her life, she made a decision for Jesus. And what she could say, it wasn't like this, I had this terrible life as as a, you know, as a tiny kid. But what she could say is, I could recognize in my life going forward that I would be a different person if Jesus had not been steering my life. Or maybe for you, it was your testimony has this encounter with Jesus where you were in high school. If this is our timeline, maybe high school is right around here. Maybe, like my wife, who doesn't know I'm mentioning her today, maybe, like my wife, there was this boy in high school that you were interested in (laughs) who invited you to church and you wanted to hang out with him, so you went. But Jesus got a hold of your life at some point, and you made a decision that would change the trajectory of your life. Maybe as an adult, you were further along in your years, maybe here, maybe further, that you realize that I have this need in my life, and I want, I recognize that I need something more than what I have. I know that I need to change. I know that Jesus is calling me to something else 
and you made a decision to follow him. Our timeline, this timeline that we have, we have these points of encounter, and that's what I want to talk about today, recognizing those points of encounter. So we're in our second week of a story, and this is about you sharing yours. Today, um, I want to lift up in prayer. Let's start. Let's start with that. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the way your spirit speaks. Thank you for the opportunity I have to share all the wonderful things that you have done. Thank you, Lord, that we are all living testimonies of your goodness. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So last week, Randy referenced the Apostle Paul. He talked about how Paul brought his story to uh, King Agrippa, and he brought this story to him, and he started to tell him, this is what happened to me. Now, if you understand the story of Paul, Paul in the early years was named Saul. He actually changes, his name changes at some point. But Saul was a persecutor of Christians. He actually didn't believe in Jesus at all. He believed that Jesus was a threat to the true faith of Judaism. And so he, he thought what he was doing is extremely noble in actually protecting his faith. He felt he was working for God. But then he has this encounter and he gets knocked off his horse. He sees this blinding light. He hears this audible voice of Jesus who tells him, why are you persecuting me? And it is as a result of that that shortly after a man named Ananias is sent to Paul to heal him of his now blindness that from his experience and tell him this. Acts 22, 14 to 15 It'll be up here on the screen. It says, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. Now, we'll look at that. Verse 14 and 15. Those are two verses, but they actually, I think there's a timeline split in the middle of that. Now, watch this. It says, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. That's what just happened. He had an encounter with Jesus. He sees this blinding light. He hears this voice. It changes the course and the direction of his life. But then the next verse, verse 15, actually tells him what's going to happen. On this point in your timeline, you experience this. This is how you were before, but I'm recognizing that there's been an encounter And as a result of that encounter, you're actually going to live differently now. And this is what you're going to do. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. Now, I find this interesting that Paul has spent so much of his life over here not believing in Jesus. And this short time after has this moment with Jesus. And Jesus is like, okay, you're going to be the one to tell everybody about Jesus. The one you just started believing in because you had an encounter. There is, no, there is no formation of the thoughts beforehand. He doesn't have to explain what the Trinity means. He doesn't have to tell people how atonement works. He just has to tell people what Ananias told him to tell. Tell them what you've seen and heard. Paul 
understanding of God just got radically overturned. And in light of this moment, his past, which he considered so noble, actually becomes his shame, his regret. I'm so sorry for who I've been. But God changed my life, and it's different now. It adds contrast to his story. Remember the moment I became real to you and simply tell others what you've seen and heard. Now, if, I, if this stage is a timeline and I were to invite you up to tell me where is your location on this timeline, when did Jesus become real to you? Was it as a student? Was it as a child? Was it as an adult? Where were you when God created an encounter with you that did what he did to Paul? He put a point on the timeline that actually created a before and an after. This is who you were. This is who you will be. Where would your point be? What would that story look like? Now, my story, I want to share a little bit with you today, probably starts even before I was born. <laughs> I don't know, going to be out, stand outside. <laughs> but it starts before I was born, when my parents were in a car accident. Someone had run a red light at the corner of Woodside and 101. And as a result, they crashed in the VW Bug, like not very safe, safest of cars, maybe and shattered glass all over them. But it was in the hospital after that accident that the doctors had asked my mom, are you pregnant? And she said, no. They said, yeah, you are. <laughs> and they said, you're having some bleeding challenges. And if you bleed for eight days, we're going to have to abort. She bled for seven. That's where my story starts. Love you, Mom. And then there's this later story, like in high school, when I started to do what my friends were doing, and I wasn't making great choices. And God started tugging on me back then and started saying, hey, Scott, that's not who you are. Turn around. And I kind of gave my life to Jesus right there. I think I gave it to him somewhere here as a child, and then I gave it to him again in high school, when I realized I really wasn't living like he wanted me to live. And then there's this point up in the future, and this is probably, I share this story, and this will be my longest part of my story today, because it was the most powerful and the most impactful in my life. When I was 25 years old, when my wife and I were 25 years old, we decided we were going to start having kids. And our first pregnancy, we realized we were pregnant. We're like, whoa, this is so exciting. We told everybody. It was so early in the pregnancy. It was shortly after that that we realized that we had miscarried. And it was such a disappointment. I know many of you have had that experience. I know your pain. I know what that felt like. It felt like a storm. It felt like, God, where were you? What is this? What do I do? I don't even understand this. But it was shortly after that that we became pregnant again, 26 years old, and we've got this pregnancy, and now you're kind of slow to hope. You're kind of going, well, I'm not going to tell everybody right away. And I think I'll guard my heart a little bit and make sure that I don't get way invested into this like I did last time. But as the pre pregnancy continued and as things went along, we 
We started, we hear in the heartbeat. And then we got to the second trimester. And then we got to the third trimester. Everything is looking great. Until one day we had an ultrasound. And they said, hey, you should, you know, you should come in. We're going to talk, we want to talk to you about that ultrasound. And that meeting was with a cardiologist. And the pediatric cardiologist said, he said, here's the bad news. He said, your baby has a heart defect. There's a hole between both sides of the heart, which means that the blood from the oxygenated side and the blood from the unoxygenated side will mix. And it's likely that your child will need to have surgery sometime in the first year of life. I said, but here's the good news. This surgery has a 99% success rate. And I don't know about you, but I feel like when people tell me like 99% success rate, I'm like, that's 100, but you're covering your butt. <laughs> so that's at 99%. Like, that sounds pretty great. Well, we're going to pray for this, and babe, we're going to get through this, and we're going we're gonna to be okay. We're going to lean on God. And so the day, the next day comes, and we have this beautiful, amazing child, perfect, and you're, you know, you're doing the things you do with babies. You're letting them grasp your pinky, and you're, you know, you're, um, you're stroking their hair, and you're just stuck, spellbound, eyes just stuck on this child. But she would be rushed to the NICU, She'd be, uh, and she would live there for a little while. And for three weeks, uh, she began to have some blue spells, which is what happens when you don't get enough oxygen in your body because that blood was mixing and it was pumping out unoxygenated blood when it needed to be pumping oxygenated blood. And so at three weeks old, the doctors told us, said she's going to need surgery sooner than later and we're going to operate on that heart the size of a small strawberry. And they said the surgery is going to take about three hours. And if you can imagine how much we were praying and I remember during that season, too, my mom would call the hospital, and she would say, like, hey, how's it going? And I'd give her the report. This is what we've learned. This is what's new. This is what's happening. And she would always end the call some way by telling me, like, hey, I talked to so-and-so, and they want you to know they're praying for you. And I could keep myself together through that entire phone call until that point, because I would think, that's all I have. I'm so hopeless with this. I can't fix hearts. The doctor would come out after the surgery, and we were waiting in the waiting room and praying, and the doctor came out, and he just looked like he had a rough day. Looked frustrated and worn. All during that season, I remember it was like... I. So many people that were praying for us, it really felt like I had this image in my mind of what that looked like. And in my mind, that looked like those, you've seen this before, like where they like put the candle in the paper bag and they float them up into the sky. That somehow I knew that the sky was full of my prayers and it was full of all of the prayers of the people I knew, all of them lighting up the sky. And the doctor came out and he said, her heart was more complicated than we thought. She's going to come out. She's going to be on a heart-lung machine. And she'll be on that for a little while just until her heart can get strong. And then we'll take her off of that and see how she does. 
And so for another week, she lived on life life support. Well, it's like ECMO is what they call it. It's a heart-lung machine that pumps your blood for you. Until a moment of truth, 28 days. They brought her in. They tried to get her heart going. We prayed in the waiting room. We lifted up those lanterns. We lit up the sky. I said, surely God will see us. Surely God could not ignore all of those prayers up in the air. Until the doctors came out to the waiting room, asked Maria and I to come in and say goodbye. At 28 days, we held each other's hand. We held the, child, the hands of our child, May, my daughter, May, and we said goodbye. And in an instant, it felt like every one of those lanterns went out, like they dropped all at once. For a long season, I would say, where were you? Why didn't you come? I've had this understanding from my childhood of knowing that you are the God who comes through, that you are the God who shows up. You are the God who cares about your children. You're the one that sees. And here I am in this experience of trying to figure you out because what I know about you isn't true with my circumstance. During that season, I'd had this picture in my mind and it was of this humongous canvas. And it was like over the years I'd grown up in church that I'd pieced together what God looks like, this image of who he was, this painting, like this is what God looks like. He's this and he's this and he's this. And I formulated my image of God in my mind. But during that storm, it was as if it had rained all of the colors off. I don't know what to do with you. And I don't know how to be who you want me to be. I don't know how to tell people that you're good when my babies die. You've made a mistake. You should have taken me. I'm not going to be any good to you anymore. I don't know how to describe you. But I came to a point And it took about six years. About six years, I felt if there was a picture of what my faith looked like, it was me on my back. It was waiting on the cliches. It was waiting on what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It was waiting on this idea that time would heal all wounds and that I would bounce back. Later, six years later, I would have this moment and I would say a prayer to the Lord. I remember uh, looking down the hall and seeing my wife getting my now two healthy babies ready for a bath. And I would look down the hall, I would see them getting ready for a bath, and I really felt like the Lord was asking me a question. He said, who's going to tell them about me? I'm like, "I I don't know, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to say about you. That night I handed Jesus me. And I said, you can have me. 
You can take my life any direction you want. Whatever you ask of me, the answer is yes. I just need you to fix me. I want to be that for my family. I want to be that for my kids. And I don't know how to get there from here. I need an encounter with you. And I know that it's going to require my full surrender for you to take it from here. It felt like I was handing Jesus my bones. Here's what's left of me. If you can use, this is a bad trade for you, Jesus. <laughs> but if you can use this, you can have it. Here's, it's like, here's me in a box. There you go. I just, it, an une, uneven trade. And I think for the first time, Jesus said, okay, I can work with that. That idea of the canvas, I would later learn another image for the same thing, and it was, for those of you who are are teachers, you may be familiar with this, it was, uh, there's a man named Jean Piaget, a developmental psychologist, and he has this theory of cognitive development, how we learn as we grow, how we, how we, how learning happens from infancy all the way up through our teen years and beyond. And he says, learning is like building a structure, when you're really young, you have this like foundation that you build and you start, you get some understanding. And as you learn new things, you start adding it on to the structure. As your learning expands, as your experiences change, you actually have things that you pick up and you go, okay, yeah, that fits within the lens that I'm looking through, this structure that I already have, that's already existing, that I've been building. I'm going to add that on. And that's called assimilation. And he says there's this other type of learning, though, that happens. Sometimes we have these experiences, and it runs contradictory to our lens. We look through our structure, and we actually go like this. I see this new learning, but my understanding previously has told me other things. I need to bust some pieces off of this structure to make this fit. That's called accommodation. We actually alter our understanding when we have encounters or experiences that are out of the box of what we can comprehend. I want you to see this slide. It's called the Hero Construction, made by an artist named Richard Hunt. It's the centerpiece of the Art Institute of Chicago. Now, the cool part about it, when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, cool, you know, sculpture. (laughs) My deep art appreciation. (laughs) My my attitude towards it has since changed. And because of this, this structure is made completely out of scrap. It's made out of of, of car parts that were left in the heap. Pieces of trash that were left to be discarded. And he collected them together and shaped them into the form of a man, of a person. And I love that it's so imperfect. I love that it doesn't like perfectly match the human figure. It just resembles it. That every piece of this body has been, was imperfect, was formerly broken. And he shapes it into the image of man, the image of us. We are made in the image of God. This is a reflection of who we are, who God is, but it's an imperfect one, made of broken stuff, left in the heap, maybe left on its back, 
busted by what life had brought, that which was once broken and discarded, useless and dead. So there's a story in the Old Testament, and it's about this dead person that heals somebody. The story is from Elisha. Elisha was this amazing prophet, and after he died, he's in the grave. And then let me read this to you, this passage of scripture out of 2 Kings. It says, Once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. That's incredible. <laughs> Can you imagine seeing two guys carrying a stretcher into the tomb and like a minute later there's three guys that walk out? There's another account in the New Testament and it's the story of Lazarus. Lazarus dies. Jesus waits. He's not there. He isn't present. Martha comes out to meet Jesus, and Mary goes into, stays in the house. I think I always relate with Mary in this story because I think for six years I stayed in the house. Like, hey, Jesus is here. You're like, I don't know what to do with that. But the interesting part of, La- of this story of Lazarus, and you can find it in, uh, in John 11, Right after, and, and, and even too, in your scripture, I think they even, where they put the chapter breaks or the pericope breaks, where they segment this, I think, I feel like they, I always felt like they put that one in the wrong spot. Because if you read the verse after the story of Lazarus, it says this in John eleven forty five. Right after we know that Lazarus has been raised from the dead, it says, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. A dead guy. Like, Lazarus, I saw your funeral, man. I saw your before and after. I saw you dead. I see you alive. And the result was many people came to Jesus. Many people believed in Jesus because a dead man's story. I saw you dead. Now people coming to life. So that night I gave my life to Jesus again at this point, my box of bones, and I said, Lord, you can have it. You can do whatever you want. There was a short time after that that I felt called by him. For about two weeks, I felt like he was shaping my prayers. I was like, God was like, my prayers were on autopilot. It was, God, show me what you want me to do. Give me the courage to say yes to it and give me the strength to do it. And in that story, like in that time, it was like, man, God is calling me to something. I was telling my friends, I'm like, I don't know what it is, but something's coming. And I get to this point, we're at church, and we, we, uh, I grew up in a uh, bilingual church here in Redwood City called Temple La Luz. And uh, that day, my pastor came up to me and he said, Scott, I, I have a favor to ask of you. And in my mind, I said, this is it. And he said, well, I, help, I need your help with the Easter drama. And I said, well, like, maybe, you know, he, think, he knows I'm handy. Maybe he's, he wants me to make some props. I said, yeah, sure, what do you want? And he says, I want you to play a part in it. And I was like, oh, I don't do plays. <laughs> I don't do this. I don't pray for the offering at this time in my life. I don't pray for the offering without shaking. 
And he says, I want, you to, I want you to play a part in it. I go, well, what part? He goes, what part do you want? I said, the little one. Because <laughs> I'm feeling all this like, oh, shoot, God's called me to this? This is, the, this is the thing you're bringing? And I said, I want the little one. And he said, I want you to play Jesus. <laughs> Dear God, this is the plan. <laughs> and so I, I'm like, I got all this prayer loaded up. Give me the courage. Here's the, here's the call. How do I say no? And I remember going home that night, and I remember just being in a daze, and I'm eating dinner, but I'm like somewhere else. And after that, I just went in my room by myself. It was like a moment out of the Gethsemane chapter of saying, God, take this cup from me. I can't do this. You've got to be kidding me. Like, I'm, that's not me. I don't. Yeah, here we go. And that night I prayed, Lord, if it's not my will but yours, do whatever you want. And I remembered the prayer where I said, Lord, you can have my life. I just need you to put me back together. The result of that, I gave him my yes. I said yes to playing Jesus. What's worse than public speaking, the number one fear of everybody in the world? Doing it in a loincloth on the cross. The Lord was going to put some fears to bed on this one. <laughs> so I go and I do this play, and I'm like, even in practice, I'm going, I'm doing this play, and they're like, okay, you know, Scott, uh, this scene, you're going to be in Gethsemane, and in this, in this part of the story, this is where you say these lines, and, and it was all very, like, thespian, you know, it was like, you know, dear Lord, take this cup from me. If it might, not my will, but yours. And so afterward, I remember I like met up with the director, and I'm like, I don't think that's how it looks. I had this experience at home. I think it looks a lot more like that, where everything in Jesus knows that he has to do this, and everything physically in his body is going, run! And so we stayed after practice, and I, I went through the scene with her. And that line, it just starts with Abba. Father, take this cup from me. Look what it looked like when I performed it after having this experience in, my, in the dark. It looked like, Abba, take this cup from me. This isn't what I want to do. This is what I know I have to do. We get to the end of this play, and the, later the all the cast is up she calls the cast up. The director calls all the cast, and we're all back here. And she comes up to the front and gives this, like, five-minute devotional. And she says, who wants to give their lives to Jesus? And about 20 people in the room raise their hand. And I looked out and said, I gave you my bones. And you bring in people to life. I'll do this every day of my life. I've never been in a play before. Call me to whatever you want. You can have it, especially if you're going to do that. Last couple of weeks, Randy posed the question, what if? 
What if revival? What if we could witness in our time people coming to life? What if we could witness God taking you and bringing people to life? If he could do it through dead people, he can do it through you. I feel like a resurrected person. My life is a living testimony. My story can be shared so that other people can find life. That's our call. Tell them what you've seen and heard. You don't have to have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. I feel like that canvas I used to have in my mind after God washed it off, the new, one, the new relationship I found with God, God couldn't fit on my canvas anymore. He was too big, too amazing, too great. Tell them what you've seen and heard. God wants to change the world. He wants to revive. Amen. He's going to do it through you when you share what you've seen and heard. I'm going to pray the worship team could come up. You know what? Before that, worship team, come on up. Before I pray, I want to invite you. You should have received a little piece of cardboard today, a little piece of cardstock. What you notice around here at Easter time is that we do cardboard testimonies. It's for people to identify that encounter they had with Jesus and then to identify who I was before that encounter and who I was after that encounter. And so that cardstock for you, we're going to take a minute while the band is just starting up. We're going to take a minute and we're going to write down what ours would be. Follow these instructions on the screen. Consider the moment in your life when Jesus became real to you. Consider the before and after and how you were different. Write the before on one side of the card and the after on the flip side. You can go ahead and do yours now. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.